Hey everyone, Steve here. Often our guests will send us a couple copies of their books and sometimes they're signed. We want to get those books in your hands. So just wanted to let you know, we created a page at our website for you all to win a weekly book giveaway. Go to eternalleadership.com slash book and there you can register. It's eternalleadership.com slash book. We'll have that link in the summary of this MP3 as well. That's eternalleadership.com slash book. Thanks. When it's all said and done, my friend, why are we here? Why are we here? We are here for others. We are not here for self. And so if we're here for others and God's blessed us with some financial wherewithal to apply into the life of others, and we're just haven't figured out how to get that going yet, then that's, that's a wonderful journey to embark upon. And even if you don't have the financial wherewithal he just described, the journey our guest today is about to describe is unlike any we've featured on this broadcast thus far. Stay tuned. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, charitable estate planner Alan Pratt. I mentioned how we learned about Alan and the body, but this is one I'm really excited for because Alan is a successful estate planner in the Seattle area and spends a good portion of this show talking about steps he works clients through and helping them figure out what they want out of life. Four simple questions that once you dig into them, have profound enlightenment into who you are. Alan has become a mentor to me as I refine and give focus to my advising practice and integrating those four questions into my practice is really exciting. So without further ado, here's how my partner, John Rampstead and I got this conversation started. Steve, now you have to refresh my memory because we had this amazing conversation with our next guest, Alan Pratt, just talking about coming on the podcast and I was just so engaged in this conversation. I knew we'd ha- we need to have Alan and come on and share with our audience. And how did we meet Alan again, Steve? We met him through our guest, Dennis Trattine. Dennis gave me a list of about a dozen people that he said, Steve, these are people that are living eternal leadership. Your, your whole ethos of why you guys started this show, these people are living it. And, and Alan was one of the first people that I reached out to, and he was the first person to reach, reach back to me. And we, Alan and I had this conversation. It was, it was amazing. I, I, Alan, I think it was probably about an hour, maybe an hour and a half almost. It was. It was. And, and, and then John came back on, and, and we had a second conversation with John, and that one went probably an hour, and it was just, it was great. And so, Alan, we're glad to have you on. It's my pleasure, gentlemen. It's, I'm looking forward to a wonderful dialogue here, and the Lord's in charge. Well, you now, know, Alan, you know what they say there's a difference between wisdom and experience. Experience is learning things on your own as you go through things and wisdom is learning from others from what they've gone through so we are excited about being poured <laughs> into today with a lot of wisdom <laughs> well I'll, I'll share with you on that note there as as this conversation unfolds um i've been the recipient on that too as part of just making myself open making myself a sponge how can i soak up experiences from others that have gone before me and many are now home with the lord but when i had that time with them 10 or 20 years ago and i was a sponge in the life of our conversation whether it was rich or whether it was bill or whether it was wally or whoever it might have been who are now no longer with us how can we turn in turn take that in and then give it right back out give it right back i love that sentiment and you are 
such a great example of servant leadership. But you know, there's a lot of people in the audience that don't know you as well as Steve and I have been able to get to know you, fortunately, over the, the recent history. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your story and your, and your journey there, uh, Alan. I'll, tr- I'll try to you know be brief so we have plenty of time. But you know, I'm, I'm a native of the Seattle, Washington area. I was born and raised here. Uh, and I arrived on the scene on October 24, 1954. And so that was roughly 50, 60 and a half years ago. And, and for, for my growing up years, I was in a wonderful, loving home. My parents were not believers. My parents actually were practicing something which I would call a cult today, and that's the Christian science faith. Um, uh, my mom still is. She's 87 and still practicing it. But they're, they're loving people, and, and we speak the truth around my household. But anyway, as part of my background growing up years, I have three brothers. Uh, two of them are still alive today. One passed away. But um, I had a nice home setting and didn't I grew up not knowing who God was, uh, but didn't know anything about a personal relationship per se. So when I went off to college uh, at 18 or 17, I was still 17 when I went off to college, the University of Puget Sound, Tacoma, Washington, um, I would pretty much say as I look back on it that I was living the life of a heathen. I I really was. Um, Partying and, and enjoying all this temporal stuff, which seemed fun and games at the time but along the way I did get an education and I did graduate and went into the business community when I was 22 years old um, and, and 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 that meant for me uh, the financial business I was a finance major in college and when I got out I went right to work for what was uh, still today <laughs> the US Treasury Department worked worked for the office of the comptroller of the currency as a national bank examiner so I was a federal bank examiner from age 21 to age 27 or 26, 27, and lived in Portland, Oregon right after college and, and uh, married young um, at 22. The marriage did not last. Uh, we divorced five years later. Um, and then uh, as I moved to Seattle in the, in the last year of that marriage, um, um, and I was still in the financial business. I left the comptroller's office to go to work in the banking business straight for the bank, two or three, two banks during the course of the 80s. Um, my co-worker in the bank in 1982 uh, was a lady that kind of caught my eye, and she is now my wife. <laughs> she is now my wife of 31 years. We celebrated 31 years just a few weeks ago on Cinco de Mayo. So when people celebrate Cinco de Mayo, they're celebrating my anniversary. And uh, we married. We married in '84, and I stayed in the banking business throughout all of the '80s. And God blessed us with three children that are now age 30, almost 27 and 25. And that, that's been an absolute blessing. Um, but along the way, I would say during the course of the '80s, my spiritual growth was was slow to say the least. Uh, we did become members of a local church, and I would say I was a I was a pew warmer. Uh, we we taught Sunday school, but throughout the '80s, I still did not know what this personal relationship thing was. 
And then the Lord grabbed me, 1992, and he grabbed me in the form of a pink slip. And I was 37 years old, and I'd been in the financial business since I was 20 because I had an internship when I was still in college. So from age 20 to age 37, I was in the financial business, in the banking business. But here I got a pink slip. It was the height of the savings and loan crisis, and I was working for the largest savings and loan, or the second largest savings loan in the state of Washington, and it went under. And so everybody, everybody, everybody had to find new work. And I, that's when I really turned to the Lord. I was on my knees and, and I said, Lord, I mean, I've prayed to you before, but I think now is probably the most intense time because I don't know what the future holds. I, I was collecting an unemployment check in February of 1992 with three kids at home and, and a mortgage and, and no income. And so I was, he took me to my knees financially then and, and guided me and still does along the way. That was 23 years ago, but changed my career into what I do today. And we'll get into that in a minute. But um, my spiritual journey, my conversion date, I don't have a date. I just know it was 1992, the year, the year that he took me to my knees and, and a lot of things started happening then with regard to a couples group that we belong to and have been a part of that for 23 years. We just spent Memorial Day weekend all together, six couples for three days up in the, up, up at a resort. Uh, one of our friends has a summer place and, and we go up there and we just have life together. And we've been having life together for 23 years. It's been awesome. So that was part of the thing. Uh, BSF came along the way. I started in BSF in 1996 and, and went through that journey. So And BSF is for the sisters that don't know? Bible Study Fellowship. Uh, it's all around the world. Uh, headquarters is is um, uh, San Antonio, Texas, but they have men's Bible study groups all over the world, and they always meet on Monday night. So, and they had a seven-year program then. It's now nine years. I'm going back this fall because they're doing Revelation this fall, and so I'll be going back to, to year for year nine. But. Uh, BSF and our couples group, and and we, we he led us to a new family of believers called Crossroads Bible Church, which came in the year 2000, 2001. So the spiritual journey really started, to, and it keeps going. I'm only 60 years old, and, and if God wants me around for another 20 or 30 years, I really don't know. But if he does, I'm really kind of focusing in on what he's going to do with that. On the business side, uh, uh, become an entrepreneur in 1992 and been one ever since and my business is for for our listeners they could go to our website which is prattla.com you can put the www in front of it i don't think you need to these days but it's p-r-a-t-t-l-a-l-a.com and it's a fairly good website that describes what we do but but on the business side i am something called a cap which is a chartered advisor in philanthropy and uh, initially in the mid-90s, I could feel the Lord's tug. I didn't know what it meant, but now it's become clearer and clearer, and it always becomes clearer, but it's still never completely in focus uh, because that's the way he keeps us growing. Um, hey, Alan, when you say you felt the Lord's tug, what, what gave you the awareness that this is from the Lord, and, and then what did you yeah. do with that? Well, it was in the early 90s. It was in the 94, 95, 96 range when I was involved in, from a traditional sense in the business world, I was an estate planning advisor from the financial side. So I, I knew methodologies and, and techniques for families to transfer wealth downstream to children and grandchildren on a tax-efficient way. And I still do that today. But the, but the thing that led me, and I knew the Lord was in it, 
was that I had an epiphany about four years into the business that I realized uh, helping people put fences around wealth and and preserve more for self was not where I wanted to be. Uh, but I did enjoy being around others that wanted to not only put responsible fences around it, but they would put gates in those fences where they could pass wealth through the gates and out into the world and out into causes. And those are the clients that I work with today. So we still have fences, but they have gates that open up and wealth pass through there. And that's financial wealth and it's non-financial wealth too. And we'll get into that in a minute. But I, but the epiphany was realizing that when I, when I work with people who are others focused, they're not self-focused, they're others focused. And they have, yes, they have some financial wherewithal, but more importantly, they have some, some character traits that are just very admi- admir- admirable. Selflessness, um, honesty, integrity, humility. Um, most of my clients are invisible by design. They want to be invisible. So that was kind of the epiphany four or five years in it that not only just why we're going to put fences around wealth so you can buy more houses and buy another yacht. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't give me, there's no, it's a question of how we use those things. Do I use my house and why? To, because God owns it to do blah, blah, blah and fill in the blah, blah, blah. And when we do use assets in that way, he honors people. So that was, that was my epiphany four or five Five years into the business that he still has me in today and uh, I love being there so that's the short story I mean along the way uh, the more more important part is wife of 31 years her name is Helen I love her dearly my oldest daughter's Jennifer she's in she is in Minneapolis Minnesota she's married has two kids uh, Audrey age three and Grant age one I'm gonna see them in 10 days I uh, can't wait uh, my daughter, number two, is Michelle. She's 27 almost. Uh, he lives here in Seattle, unmarried, but to a young man that I was just on the phone with today. And uh, he's got some things going on in his life. And I said, I want to pray for you tomorrow at 10 a.m. And I told him why. And so anyway, and they're not even officially engaged yet, but they will be. And then my boy, who's in Great Falls, Montana, and he has a birthday a week from Saturday. And I'll be getting in there the day afterwards on a trip that my return across. But anyway, God's blessing in children. Was it always easy? Absolutely not. Did they rebel? Yes, they did. But are they now in a place where they love their parents? Absolutely. Are they all walking with the Lord? Not all of them. But that, I mean, the Lord didn't grab me till I was 37. I mean, I got to be patient if my boy's not quite there at 25. And so that's the bigger picture is the family piece. Um, and the relationship piece for me, which goes to meeting colleagues like you, my brothers now in, in Colorado, being collegial with like-minded men and women all around the country because he calls us into relationship for all sorts of different reasons. And that is what it means to be a, a kingdom ambassador. I'm an ambassador for the kingdom. The kingdom is right here. It is right here. So how do we live that out daily? So there's an overview. It's kind of a quick one. Well, you know, as you it sounds like, you know, as you felt that tugging on your heart, Alan, and you started moving forward, you didn't change the business that you were doing. It was more what changed was the mindset and how you were doing it. Could you share a little bit about that and maybe some of the struggles along the way as you made that transition and on how you thought about things? Uh, yes, and, and I'll try to keep it kind of in a business context and also in a relationship context because because the relationship context is really the way in which it went. And I will tell you, I did exactly what I'm going to describe to you, and I'll th- try to do this in two or three minutes, in 1996. I've been doing it for four years, and I sat down with myself, and I said, okay, let's look back at those four years. 
who are three or four or maybe five client relationships that I've worked with that I absolutely love? And let's go grab a piece of paper and let's put their name up on top and let's write down all the reasons why I love working with John Smith and his family. And I wrote it all down. And I did that four or five times over, each with different families. And I put them aside. And then I grabbed another piece of paper uh, or stack and I said, who are people that I've talked to, had conversations with, they're kind of hard to get into. We haven't gone anywhere. There seems to be some roadblocks. And sometimes when I meet with them or talk with them, when I hang up the phone, I'm just drained of energy. They just drain the heck out of me. What's going on with them? And they also would be high net worth people. But here's what the exercise told me, is that when I looked at the stack of the people that were on the first sheet, and there was a half a dozen of those, and a stack on the second sheet, the financial profiles were very similar but the non-financial profiles were vastly different. Mm. These people were outwardly focused. These people were what's in it for me. These people were, I love my family, even with their barnacles and pimples, I still love them. These people are saying, you know what, I'm not sure I want to do this because I don't trust my son-in-law. Uh, and I want to do this, uh, I want to put some fences around my, my daughter's inheritance in case he, he goes a different direction. Lack of trust, Don't low trust, threshold, high trust threshold for the first group. So that was part of the epiphany that I went through in 1996 and early 97 that that led to me leaving the firm where I was as a non-owner and starting what is today Pratt Legacy Advisors. That was September of 1997. And the Lord was in it at the time. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. But the way that I know he was in it in, in, in July, excuse me, in August of 1997, the guy that owned the firm, and I'd been with him for now for about five years. That's he the firm that you went joined in 1992? Correct. Mm -hmm. he, he walked into my office, and, and he's a good, solid guy, but there's a value. My values and his values were different. Um, he said, Alan, you know, you've been doing all your work over here in the charitable planning area, and I'm over here in succession planning and deferred comp and uh, executive carve-out. And these are all financial tools that are used well for people to build more wealth for self. And I was in the financial tools that will help people build more wealth for others, for charitable causes. And there, there's big wealth in both camps, but the direction on what he was doing was all what's in it for me. And mine was all in what's in it for others from the client's perspective. And I'm not here to judge that what's in it for me is wrong. It's just that I'm not wired that way. So he walked into my office and he says, Alan, you've been doing all this work on the charitable side. And I'm over here doing uh, doing buy-sell agreements and, 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 and key man and, and deferred comp and all these wonderful tools that are good tools for people taking care of self. And we weren't crossing over anymore. And he says, Alan, maybe it's time for you to leave. And I go, Whoa! You know, and, and, but actually, it, it took me about two seconds, and I got up, and his name's Michael. I got up and I hugged him. And I said, "Michael, you are absolutely right. I've been thinking about it myself. I did not know that was the Lord's work right there, right mm. there." <laughs> and within 30 days, I was out, and the new firm was already established. That then I called it Family Wealth Advisors. We have gone through a brand change to what is now Pratt Legacy Advisors, but we started up the new firm in about five weeks about five weeks and really have been on that journey since with that type of individual the, the the outwardly focused one the one that loves their family even with their barnacles and pimples because we've all got them and they're there but they're not going to give up on them and so i have very few divorced clients i think i've got two all right most of my clients understand commitment and and so it's, it's the 
it's the values piece that they live their lives that draws me to them. And then on occasion, there might be some abundant financial wherewithal that allows them to do some wonderful things with them. And that was the beginning of the journey in the summer of 1997. You know, some of these clients that you work with, Alan, what are some of the themes that are just front of mind with them that they're, they're trying to accomplish with the resources they have, their time, their money, their, their knowledge, their skills? And quite frankly, John, for many of them, they don't know. Hmm. They don't know. They, they know that they've had their liquidity event or they sold their company or they had their halftime experience, whatever it might be, and they've got time to reflect. And I'll use this as a generic example. Uh, they just sold their widget manufacturing company and they've been manufacturing widgets for 25 years and they've transitioned it and now they're 60 years old and they no longer have $3 million of S-Corp stock. They now have $35 million of cash. What am I going to do with my $35 million of cash? I don't financially need to work anymore, but I'm 60 years old, and God willing, I've got 30 or 35 more years out in front of me. How am I going to use my day? And many of these questions, they don't know the answer to. And so in the work that I do, I try to come alongside them as a trusted advisor with tools that are questions-driven. They're all open-ended values-conscious questions that will allow them to find the answers that are already in them. So I'm a professional questioner, let's say, and and it guides them to dig deep and, and answer some of these questions that are in them, but nobody ever, nobody's ever asked me that before. And so I will always couch many of the questions. I, I want you to think of, I'm going to ask you a question, Merritt. Please do not answer me verbally. I want you to answer it thoughtfully in your own mind and take a week or two and then come back to me. So much of the questions that we draw up, which, by the way, came from me being a sponge with people that are 20 to 25 years older than me back in 1996, 97, 98, and are now home with the Lord, many of the tools and questioning techniques came from me engaging in their life. When I was 45 years old, I'm now 60, and saying, and they were 75 or 80, and I, and I would ask them, what's on your mind? What, 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 what keeps you up at night? What gives your heart just everything it needs? And, and as they share with me that, we started to build some processes around this. So I don't claim any of it. It's owned by the Lord. And he, and he spoke it to me through other people, some of whom are now home with him. Okay. Now, in addition to that, John, I will say this, because just like our Lord who walked with the sinners regularly, I walk with a lot of people that don't know him. I walk a lot of people that are kind of searching and they're, and they're not finding the meaning in a 25 or $50 million balance sheet and they don't know them yet. And, and some of, so some of the, some of the angsts are around purpose. I mean, uh, we've had some like that. They, they've got all the money they need, but they're, they're lacking in other areas. And could we be of some assistance to help them have a balancing between all those elements of wealth, not just the financial, but the relational, the intellectual, the spiritual, and the physical, bringing all the, those are the non-financial elements of wealth to bring all those together. What might already be thirty-five million dollars of liquid cash or whatever it might be to to live to use that thirty-five million dollar financial resource to build out those other elements of legacy. So, in essence, John, most of the time, my prospective clients that might turn into clients, they don't know. They just know that something's missing, and they just and they don't know who to turn to. They don't know the the answers, they don't know the questions, and they don't know who to trust. So there's many people out there that are unserved that are in this space right now. So, Alan, I would think that answering those questions, you know, talking about legacy, it's just as important to be thinking about these questions when you're 
you know, like what you were and I was when you're in the 20s and yeah. 30s and 40s and you're you're actually positioning yourself and thinking ahead. So when you do have that time and money in the future, for some of us, it's just that's a dream that we'd love to have. Some of those guys were on the path to getting there because we have all kinds of listeners across the spectrum. So people that are somewhere anywhere along that journey, what are some of the most important questions you think that people need to take that time and reflect and think about? Um, okay, I'll, I'll name a few that just come to my mind initially. One that's a real key. It's a real simple one. What is it that when you do it gives you absolute energy and joy? What is it that when you do it gives you absolute energy and joy and I'm going to ask my clients to think about that in a business context in a family context in a community context wherever they're going to engage their being because we've all got one resource that's equal that's called time 24-7 so however we split up our 24-7 because nobody's got 25 or 26 nobody's got 8 or 9 we've all got 24 we've all got 7 so it's a, a, a big part of our process is the use of your time okay before we even bring into the balance sheet so what is it that when you do it gives you absolute energy and joy and I ask people to think about that one for weeks write down as much as they can and and we'll bring it back into a business context into a family context into your church life into your into your personal relationships life and and there's a ways of going deeper on that but that's the starting question and um, for me I'll go back to my personal story one of the one of the uh, exercises that was shown to me by someone else Oh, I don't know, 15 to 20 years ago, um, had to do with, um, I'll call it the three most fantastic days. And this is an answer to your question. Here's, here's the question on the three most fantastic days. Think back in your working career, uh, Mr. Halftimer, who just had your halftime experience. Um, what I want you to three, think of the three most fantastic days in your, half, in your first half of your business career. And I want you to identify those days. And what I want you to do is ident answer these questions. Who, what, where, when, why, how? So where were you? Who was involved? What was the context? Why are you, why are you um, considering it the one of the most fantastic days? Because the rules are, there are no rules. You self-define it. You self-define it. Okay, and this is a process. This is an exercise that will take some time. And, the, and these exercises I'm describing, I've done them all multiple times. But we line up the answers to the first question: What is it when you do it gives you absolute energy and joy? With the answers to the second question, and with the third exercise, which I call the ten most uh, important people. And this is an exercise that takes a few months, where we identify at this place in time, John, or at this place in time, Steve, as of May. What is today? May 28, 2015. Right now, who are the 10 most important people in your life? Right now, living, living. Write them all down and eliminate it to 10. Then I want you to go out and have a conversation with those 10 people and we have an exercise that we have them do. And it takes, it took me the first time, it took me about two months. Second time I did it in an afternoon, and the reason I did it all in an afternoon the second time through is I hired a consultant, and the consultant put all those ten people in the same room for half a day. <laughs> wow. your, own, your own personal board of directors, pretty much, versus a corporate much. board of directors. Yes. And a personal yes. board is a great concept. 
but then we went into an exercise and I couldn't say a word. The second time I did it when I hired the consultant and I was in the room, he, he wouldn't allow me to say anything. All the 10 people that were either, phys- nine of them were physically present. One of them was on a speakerphone because they have, they were a few thousand miles away. But nine were present and one was on, you know, audioed in. We went through a list of exercises that for me uh, led me to understand that what Pratt Legacy Advisors today is is wrapped around the DNA of Alan Pratt. And it all came from those other nine people that were there. And, and when he allowed me to talk and I spoke about my opinions on certain things, my opinion was different from some of the other nine and they overruled me. And so when when I went through this branding exercise and it came out the other end of the branding exercise, there were things that I did not want to do, but it didn't matter. I did it because they, they overruled me, my board of directors, my personal board of directors. And boy, am I glad they did because I did not know at the time, this is 2002, 2003, that I, that I wasn't quite seeing as clearly as they were. They were seeing more clearly about me than I was of myself. So anyway, yeah, that outside opinion can be so valuable. I'm curious. Oh. I'd love to. I'd love to circle back. You said when you meet with these ten most important people, there's an exercise that you have yeah. them do. What is the exercise? It's a it's a two part question. Okay, and, and the first part is this, um, and because these are people, if they're the ten most important people in your life, likely that relationship between them and you is very strong both ways both ways so uh, you call them up and you say john um john i'm about ready to make a decision that involves business that involves my family it's very important to me but before i make that decision and it's going to be a few months out it might be a year out i want to ask your opinion could we spend some time together and john because you're a very close guy in my life you're going to say absolutely when do you want to get together and when we do Here's the question, first part of the question. John, you've known Alan, you've known me for, for 18 years. When you think about me and you think about who I am, what qualities or characteristics stand out? What stands out? In, in, in more of a secular sense, people say, what are your strengths? I don't necessarily use the word strengths, but I use uh, what character traits, what values, what virtues stand, for which you highly admire me. What are those things? And then my job is to do one thing. Shut up. Button it up. And eventually, John, you're going to kick in. You're going to think about it for a while. And then you're going to start talking. And my job is to write down everything you say verbatim until you go quiet. So no rebuttals, no commentary, no color, no play-by-play. No, because this is not about me. It's about what you say about me. It's what, what you say about me. And my opinion is irrelevant here. It's hard, but that's why when I did this the second time around with the facilitator in the room, I couldn't speak for about three hours, for about three hours. I had to sit there and watch all this going on in front of me. So, but, but, but you don't need to hire a facilitator. You can do it one-on-one. And that's, and so when you're all done, I, John will stop talking and I'll, I can tell, I can tell when I think you're done. Then I'll jump in and say, John, thank you very much. I got one more question for you. If there were one thing or two things, maybe three, about me for which you would change, what would they be? And generally in the secular world, it might be, well, these might be weaknesses. They might be things that maybe I need some improvement on. Or they may just be flat out things that I'm not wired to do. And I know what they are in my life. And you, and so I, again, my job there is to shut up and listen. And probably that will be a shorter list, and it usually is. But 
there's going to be something on that list. If if they say nothing, then that's not acceptable. There's got to be something, John. You know, you've known me. You're one of my ten favorite guys. I love you, brother. I mean, what is it? And and you you will come up with stuff, and they do. And then you do that ten times over. I mean, you just did. I just finished the first one, and when we're all done, I say, John, thank you very much. I'm going to take everything you've given me. I've got a few more uh, of these interviews to do with other very important people in my life. Before I take any action on this life journey, I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to let you know how your input affected what likely will be my decision. And then you do it nine times over, so you get ten. When you're all done put them around in a big circle, all those answers, and put a piece of paper in the middle and start to look around. What are the common things you're hearing coming from those 10 most important people? On the first question, write them all down. What are the common things you're hearing coming from the second, from on the second question, write them all down. And that's a compilation of all the answers to the first question and the second question from the 10 most important people in your life. Now you have 11 pieces of paper, don't you? 10 for each one of the interviews and the 11th one which is the aggregate put it on top put it aside I've just given you three questions what is it when you do it it gives you absolute energy and joy the second question is the three most fantastic days the third one is the 10 most important people and the last one is a future question it's it's one to allow people to kind of think out one, two, three, four, or five years, and I and I arbitrarily pick a five-year term, but what, you can pick any term. So when with a, with a business guy and he's looking at a liquidity event in two years, I'll make it a two-year question. Or if I'm with a uh, a business owner and and he's looking at a decision that might come into his life in three years with regard to business or family or whatever it might be, I'll make it a three-year question. So it, it's very flexible. But let's just arbitrarily pick it as a five-year question now, and I say again, it's John, Steve, it's five years from now. Right now, it's May 28, 2020. Um, five years have gone by since that date you interviewed that guy in Bellevue back on in 2015. What has to have happened in your life, both personally and professionally, for you to say that you feel happy and fulfilled with your progress in five areas? Number one, relationships. Number two, intellectual growth. Number three, spiritual growth. Number four, physical health. And number five, financial. Because all five of those areas in the work that I do are all wealth, not just the last one. The last one is the one that we tend to focus in on in the business world a lot, but we tend not to give enough attention to the other four. And when we don't give enough to the other four, I can sometimes meet people that have that are very heavy on the financial. They're worth $50 million, but they're light on the other four, and life is not fulfilling for them, and they want it to be. Okay, So it's not about adding another 10 or $20 million to your net worth. It's how we use what you already have to bring fulfillment to the other four areas. Okay, So that's the five-year question. So the others, I just gave you four exercises. What is it when you do it gives you absolute energy and joy? The three most fantastic days, the 10 most important people, and the five-year question, which I call the discovery process. Those are four. Well, I, and, you know, the technique you're working with people is from such a coach approach, and it's why I love working with my clients and going through this with them. That said, I would love to get some feedback from you, as you've worked with so many amazing people, Alan, you know, these five areas you talked about, relationship, intellectual growth, spiritual growth, physical health, financial. 
the financial goals, you know, business folks, I'm just wired that way. I'm thinking about those. I know the metrics for my business. I can tell you what things relate to my balance sheet, there, you know, how to manage my people, cast vision. But in those other areas of my life, you need to have metrics. But here's my question is, is there an overriding metrics that we need to have personally that people can think about that help give them guidance that would bring move them toward fulfillment in all these areas, maybe not just the one that's their comfort area? Um, I think it's unique for everybody. And this is my opinion now. So just know that this is the Alan Pratt opinion. And, and, and I'm, I'm giving you this opinion from my 60 years of life so far. So that, that's my schoolhouse is 60 years of life and, and being around other people in that schoolhouse of 60 years. Um, and my response is it's, it's unique. Everybody is different. God created 7 billion people on the planet and they're all unique. They're all unique. So your answer and your thoughtfulness to that will be different from Steve's and different from mine. And that's because God created us uniquely. And that's very good. Okay. So um, uh, there's now what, what do we do to help people find out? Because it's already in there. I really do believe this. Your answer to that is inside of you. Mm-hmm. And Steve's answer, it's, it's, it's inside of Steve right now. So what can we do in a questioning process in those five areas? And we have a legacy questionnaire. It's 80 questions long, 80. And these 80 questions delve in all five areas of one's life, one of their being, and those categories I just described to you. And it allows people to reflect on those past, present, and desired future in all five areas. And based upon the responses that one gets through that, and husband and wife do it separately and don't share their answers, and adult children who are involved in the business do it separately and don't share their answers until we come together and we talk about it as a family unit, or which also might be on the board of directors of ABC Corporation, i.e. family-owned business, because we do that too. But the but my response is it's they're all unique. There is no there is no one set that is that I see more prevalent than others, and and I. And the reason I'm sensing that is because God created us all different. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. It is a good thing. As people go through this process, are there areas of clarity uh, that people really need help with, maybe more than others? Um, the one that I would say, as we think back of those five areas again, in a traditional um, let's call it a state planning setting, because I'm known as a professional that's in this area. Much of the time is traditionally focused on the financial, tax, and legal, because there's a lot that can be done there. All right, but most of the voids that happen are in the other four. Okay, mm-hmm. so when someone co- comes to me, they they're not really of um, huge concern that. That their financial house is not in order because they're already worth ten or fifteen or twenty million dollars. Or you know, they're they're really in a stewardship mindset. How can I take what I've got and use it responsibly to support all five areas? I mean, the fifth one being financial, but to support those other things. And those tend to be the areas where people are not as well prepared. Are not as well prepared. Now there are some exceptions. You 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 think about someone who's very well balanced in wealth. But let's take the last one away. Let's take away financial wealth. They have none. But their relational, their spiritual, their health, and their physical is quite good. Are there people out there that we know? Yeah, there are. And they may have very modest financial, but you see the way they live their life? 
they are attractive, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Because they're outwardly focused, they're selfless, they're humble, they're givers. They may not, their bank account may be very, very small, but that's not where their focus is. And, and, and those tend to be magnetic folks that because they're selfless, they're givers, they're out there. So when we have an opportunity to not only understand why they're that, that way, and I've learned from them, and some of those have passed away and some are still here, and then add to that a financial uh, piece that might not be a pauper, it might be seven or eight or nine digits, how can we use those as a resource to bring back the others? So my response to you is generally speaking, uh, it's the other four where the, where the desire to go stronger is because when it's all said and done, my friend, why are we here? Why are we here? We are here for others. We are not here for self. And so if we're here for others and God's blessed us with some financial wherewithal to apply into the life of others and we just haven't figured out how to get that going yet, then that's that's a wonderful journey to embark upon. Um, well, so Alan, you shared know. with me something earlier that really builds on this point, and I'd love for you to talk because it's where you are now in life. Uh, and I love this. You said that you know, as you went through this journey, you have this deep knowledge right now uh, that God will never leave you, that he's oh, with God. you in everything. And it's just this, you feel this incredible gift that this is and this peace that it's given to you. And you said something that really struck me because it's something I'm working on. I'm definitely not there yet. Um, is that you feel like you're present with God daily, and you have been now for several years. And I think that's a lot of that, that's a place I'd love to get to. Uh, you know, people in my Bible study, good friends of mine. It's something we talk about. How do we get there? And I'd love for you to share about that part of your life and your faith as an encouragement, or maybe even uh, a discipling to others. <sighs> Okay, and I'm not there completely. I'm better than I was a few years ago. And I think we tend to be, we tend to think about circumstances more than we should. And circumstances can be physical, financial, relational. And they can tend, they can tend to be difficult circumstances which will absorb our being. And when we absorb and get woe on, Oh, my marriage is getting to be a mess, and my relationship with my daughter is not what it used to be. And we get absorbed into some of that, and and we pull back into a woe is me. It's a spiral, and so what I've learned because I've been we all have I've been through highs and lows relationally I haven't been through any real low lows physically but I've had some physical stuff but it's not really low on the physical and I've been void spiritually I mean the first two decades of my life were completely void spiritually so as we think about these elements where we are highs and lows and where our circumstances can sometime um, cloud our thinking to realize our circumstances are going to drive our actions versus my actions and my being are going to be driven on who I am, not what's happening to me. That's been helpful to me. And I'll give you my example. I've been an entrepreneur for 23 years. I've had highs and lows financially. I mean, I have some bleak years and, and, and I'm going, God, am I, should I be doing this? Should I be doing what I'm doing? Because there's been no deposits to the checkbook for months, okay? And then a six-digit deposit will come in because of blah, 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 because of doing something. And this is in a business context. 
So what I always look back at it, and this is where our listeners can ask this of themselves. Name me a time in your life when the Lord has abandoned you. My answer and yours, never. He has never abandoned me. Now, what, what has happened sometimes because our circumstances tend to override us when we have knots in our stomach, or we might even have a growth in our stomach called cancer, or whatever else might be going on, our circumstances tend to, to pull us into the, the internal feeling about circumstances on health and financial and relational, which I'm not going to ignore. But then that's where we need to reaffirm God. You see this chair right behind me? Can you see that chair right there? He's sitting in that chair. He's he's in this office, right? He's in the I can I can see I see a stool by I see a chair behind you, John. He's sitting in that chair right now with you. And the same time he's sitting in my chair. I know this for a fact. Because where is he? He's everywhere. Now, Steve, I don't see a chair in the back of your office, but I bet you got one. He's there with you too. So when we remember that at all times, and we're going through that thing called cancer, guess what? He's going through it with us. And we're going through that you know, bleak bank account that's got some red ink on it. He's going through it with us. And so when we do do that, it, 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 it helps me. Now, does it mean I'm going to have more stuff going on? There's going to be uncomfortable circumstances in my future? Very likely. Very likely there will be. It's whatever he's going to bring on. But my my obedience to him to recognize his presence helps me immensely while we're in those circumstances that are not comfortable. I mean, John, you had your you had your your accident, which which led you to doing a lot what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And was he with you in those circumstances? I'll bet you you know that he was. Okay, he was. And, and, and without that perspective, Alan, I honestly don't know how I would have gotten through it. Yeah, and I was in a hospital. Um, that just specialize in people with spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury. And there was definitely two groups. I think people that had hope for a better future and people that were so focused on their circumstances, they were focused on their their pain or their lack of opportunities, ability, uh, and which I totally understood because it was so difficult. But if you have that relationship and that trust in God, which grew through this whole period for me, which allowed me to have that um, that hope, that faith, that hope, but it was all built on trust and just trusting that He actually was there. And the most difficult times that I had, as I look back on it, I can see His hand now, and I c- couldn't see it then. I didn't have the perspective, uh, so I was really taking small steps forward in faith. But looking back on it, my wife and I sat time and reflected on this. We could see his hand in absolutely yeah, everything and how faithful yeah, he was in relationships and providing meals, providing income for the family, the right medical care, healing when I needed it, when the doctors told me that it wouldn't happen. Um, it's so humbling for me, Alan, to, this realization that the God of the universe who created everything, everything in it, billions of people cares about me as an individual. And for me, that was the breakthrough moment when I was able to connect who I was with a personal relationship with Christ. And for me, that changed my future irrevocably. 
And John, I, I love it because you're demonstrating God's presence through all these things. And and so, I mean, I'm in a men's group. Our men's group met yesterday morning. We talked about a lot of things. And one of them was about, you know, things going on in the world today that are kind of disheartening. And I won't go into the details. And then how, how can you, how can you, um, be a be a purveyor of truth in a, in a conversation with someone who, you know, is is agnostic or atheist, and and the thing that I come back to is this: I I don't I, I'm not a person of religion. I have a relationship. Mm-hmm. I have a relationship with my wife. I have a relationship with my children. I have a relationship with my Lord. It's one on one, and so when people try to maybe. Um, speak truth in a way that's more you know fire and brimstone etc I don't go there and the reason being people are attracted to others that are that are relationship focused I mean and when we when we see someone think I mean you can think think of a leader you can think of all sorts of leaders that you admire when you think of those leaders that you admire what are their what are the character traits particularly the relational character traits that they expose that attracts you to them and they are relation generally they were very strong relationship focused and their 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 human relationships are pretty sound they're never going to be perfect because perfect doesn't exist but they're going to be free and they're going to be grounding with their spiritual relationship in such a way that they don't have to say a word they just have to be it and so anyway, uh, I'm still on a journey. Don't get me wrong. We're all on a journey, but I will give credit where credit is due. And, and one of the men that's one of the vehicles that the Lord has used to speak into my life is Charles Stanley. Um, you know, I listen to Charles Stanley every Sunday morning and, mm-hmm. and, and he's, and he's 82 years old now and, and he's wonderful. And he had a message a few months ago about the presence of God, not Acknowledge not believing in God, but acknowledging His presence. It's a fabulous uh, um, message, and I I downloaded it to my little iPhone. I've listened to it probably fifty times, fifty times, and it's really, really helped me to understand that in everything that we do, in every place that we are, in every email that I send or phone conversation that I have, that the Lord's in there too. He's in there in everything. And it's, it, it's reassuring because we're going to have stuff, be it health or financial or whatever, and it's going to happen, but he's there. He, and, and like you, I look back, Lord, what did I do? I'm 37 years old. I'm unemployed. I'm collecting an unemployment check. I got a house, mortgage, and three kids. What did I do wrong? And it's nothing about what I did wrong. It's about where he wants to grow me. And he's going to grow us in those things for his purpose. But it's all going to involve many, many other people along the way. Well, you know, here's the thought that's hitting me, Alan. I'd love your your thoughts on this because this process that you're talking about, I, I was just having lunch with a good friend of mine. He said, that, you know, there's so much out there, great books on leadership and spiritual development. But what really differentiates some people that we know right now that are actually moving forward, making an impact with their life, doing things that really matter, they're actually taking the time to go through and do some of the things that either their mentor is sharing into them or maybe that's in a really good book or that's part of a process. I bet it's mm-hmm. only 3 or 5% of people that are going to hear this podcast and hear these amazing steps that you're talking about that has allowed you, and you're a very humble guy, but the impact that you're having, not only in your business, in your family's life, but in the community around you and and in this world in general. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to let you know that Alan is just an amazing kingdom leader. But if you take the time and go through that and you discover that on your own and you have that awareness and now you're, you're moving closer to God and you're implementing these things in your life, guess what you can go do? You can now go share somebody else what you did, what it meant to you, and what it can mean to them. And if you're the person that's serving them, showing them how to get these things, these five areas in their life and moving it from a three to a five, from a seven to an eight in their lives, guess what you're going to do? You will always, always open up a relationship for people to say, where did this come from? How did you get the strength to make these changes? Um, Can you tell me? And you're going to have these amazing conversations. And it's it's not that hard to be a kingdom leader and bring your faith into work and into this world around you if you do what Alan's talking about, in my opinion, and what you're talking about really is servant leadership, but it starts with leading yourself. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean to get on my soapbox, but that was, that, that's just what was just bubbling up as, as I was hearing you talk. Well, again, and I listen, I appreciate your kind words, John, but again, I think it's just being evident that uh, dying to self, not only daily, but every minute of every day, I'm always dying to self. Okay, going into a meeting, make sure I take self out of this and be others focused and make sure I know that our Lord's right sitting there at the table. Okay, now there's two or three things that each planted on me. One of them was two years ago, January 1, 19, uh, 2013. And he planted on me, that's two and a half years ago. He said, when I get out of bed, before I put my feet on the ground today, one question, what am I gonna give away today? Give away something every single day, or two or three things. Give away time, give away a relationship, give away an idea, give, a, give away uh, give away a experience. Uh, money is the easy thing. I mean, we can always talk about giving away money, but what can I give away today that will potentially make someone else's life better? We can all do that. Did Mother Teresa do that? She lived her life on giving away. She had no money, but all she did was give, give, give. Okay, that's one thing. How can we demonstrate that in who we are in the business community, in the pulpit, in the boardroom, wherever we are? Um, what can I give away today? And then when I put my, my head down on the pillow at night, Lord, let me think through what I gave away. Here's what I did. Or Lord, my goodness, please forgive me. I was too self-focused today. I can't, I'm having a hard time. But we shouldn't. If we think about it in the morning before the feet hit the ground, what can I give away today? Every, and that, that was two and a half years ago. We put we talk about New Year's resolutions. I don't really like them. He put that one into my brain on January of 2013, and it's been every single day. Am I giving away right now? Yes, I'm giving away. All right. Second one is when people are living a selfless, humble life, attractive in leadership. Again, back to my question earlier: What you think about leaders you admire? Write down their character traits as to why you admire them. Generally speaking, it's going to be a function of the principles that are demonstrated in their being, and sometimes it's not even verbal. Yeah, it might be, but it, but it, you can sense it comes from something deep within that's not self-taught. That's again, that, this whole thing about self-starter, self-confidence, self this, self that, where our world says, "You buckle it up, man, man up, and 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 and, and take it on." And I tend to think whenever we have a word that's hyphenated and the first word is self, beware, beware, 
okay because self this self this that is a is is a very strong yellow flag that ye may be following the world versus following him okay and and generally in, in my experience I have that that selflessness the humility the gratitude now there's integrity and there's very strong knowledge and there's very strong confidence in these men and women that I describe, but it's quite clear that it's more than them. It's, 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 it's him in them and they're not preaching. They're just being. Mm-hmm. So what, how are we going to be that person today? And that's eternal leadership. How are we going to be that person? If I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ every single day, an ambassador for the kingdom, because the kingdom is here, it's right here right now. Um, how, what, what, are the, what are my assignments today that I get to joyfully respond to that will be attractive to someone else who's going through stuff? I had this yesterday. I met with a lady yesterday. She's married a year, and her two, and her two stepkids, age 12, are having a hard time right now. She's not a believer. Why did she reach out to me? I don't know, but I'm going to respond. So one of the principles, never say no to an invitation. Well, wait, wait a minute, Alan. How do you know what's? It may not fit into your calendar. It may, you, it may be a complete distraction. How am I going to know that unless I have the time? Mm-hmm. And occasionally it may, it will be. But don't say no to an invitation. Someone wants to invite you to this or ask your opinion on that. You invited me to this show. Did I say no? I don't have time to do that. I got other things I got to do. No. So never say no. My good friend. Jeff Rogers, who I don't know we've had on your program yet, but you probably will. I think he was probably on Dennis Tratine's list, okay? I learned this from Jeff. I learned a lot of this from, Jeff, from others, but Jeff never says no to anybody. He will, he will have coffee with anybody on any topic, and that's just making yourself available. So I don't want to ramble on, but just some things that I tend to observe that I try to live as best I can. I, I fail, but I try to live as best I can. Like I said at the top, Alan has taken me under his wing as a mentor and has really helped give my advising practice some laser focus with where God has taken me in life, where my passions lie, and where my talents all intersect. It's been invaluable thus far, and I found Alan to be one special person. Thanks, Alan. If you'd like to learn more about Alan, his process he walks clients through, his estate planning practice, visit our show notes at eternalleadership.com slash 065. Uh, We'll have all that and more, eternalleadership.com slash 065. Next time on Eternal Leadership, our good friend Amy Everett from Marketplace Rock returns to talk about what transformation of culture really looks like. In many of these communities, the marketplace was completely transformed, as in some communities going from impoverished, alcohol-ridden, tormented communities to prosperous, marketplace-oriented communities where the people thrive because the, the whole economy has been turned upside down. This is a passion for John, myself, and Amy. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Mm-hmm.